Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Oracle Park in San Francisco. It's the Cleveland Guardians 3, the San Francisco Giants 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and the game just ended. I mean, Will Brennan just put that final out in his mitt. It's just after midnight here in Cleveland, and uh, I am ready to talk some Cleveland Guardians baseball with you on this late late night and man i'm telling you i cannot wait for this west coast swing to be over uh i i dozed yeah i'm always honest with you morning people i dozed a little bit in the seventh there maybe into the eighth inning woke up in time to see trevor stefan uh pitch the bottom of the eighth uh got up to the computer here to record the podcast uh as we were going through the top of the ninth inning and uh uh watch class a shut things down on Three fly balls? What? On three fly balls in the air? That's how Class A gets the save? We're not used to seeing that, are we? Uh, no, but he uh, he does get the job done. Uh, Two-run lead, pitching in the ninth inning instead of the tenth inning. Makes a big difference for Emmanuel Class A. Uh, we, we went through the numbers yesterday on this. So uh, let's get into the top storylines of the game. And, uh, I mean... We got to go with Cal Quantrill as our top storyline of this game. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians, while their offense is, you know, still pretty, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, we only had four hits. The offense is not cooking right now um, on this West Coast swing. So we need starting pitching to come up big for us. And uh, Quantrill does in this one. He has a really, really strong start for the Cleveland Guardians. And, you know, we, we've talked about how that magic number for the Guardians to win is four runs this season, and they come up short of that, which puts even more pressure on the pitching staff. And uh, Quantrill's line on the day, six innings pitched, five hits, one earned run, three walks. None of them come back to hurt him, though. Two strikeouts and one home run allowed on 86 pitches. He's only hard hit four times and why did none of those walks come back to hurt him because the guardians are able to turn three double plays in the game and uh, that's really gonna save you there uh when you maybe maybe let a few guys on base you know five hits three walks it's a decent amount of guys on base for the san francisco giants but the double plays uh you know snuff out any chance at a rally uh, a double play, ground into a double play, ends the first inning. Wilmer Flores, after he had walked Yastrzemski to start things, Estrada popped out. The ground into double play ends that first inning. Um, another leadoff walk in the second inning, but he's able to get out of it on a ground out, fly out, ground out. Um, looking for those next double plays. Uh, a walk, a one out walk in the fourth inning to Jock Peterson, but Lamont Wade Jr. grounds into a double play. And then my favorite one of all, uh, Wilmer Flores hit by the pitch, and then Jock Peterson grounds into a double play at 102.4 miles per hour, but I'm not even going to say right at Josh Naylor, uh, towards Josh Naylor, but not right at Josh Naylor. He has to make a diving stop to his right, uh, snag this thing, tags Wilmer Flores, who was trying not to get hit by the line drive himself, and... <laughs> Poor guy is stuck literally in no man's land. It's almost like uh, 
his brain stopped sending messages to his legs and he was just stuck in place. Um, so he gets tagged out by Naylor, uh, who then tags the bag to get Jock Peterson for a ground into double play, which is big because Lamont Jr. did single after that before Hanniger popped out to end the inning. So you never know what kind of rally that could be if that ball gets past um, Naylor or if that play goes a different way. Like if Wilmer Flores decides to leapfrog him or something, I don't know. I don't know what could have happened there different, but I'm glad it happened the way it happened because uh, Wade Jr. Uh, singled after that, and who knows what that sixth inning would have turned into. It was a big inning because the Guardians had just taken the lead. And in game one of this series, uh, you know, we'd scored two, and they had answered right back with two in the bottom of the inning, right? We couldn't win the inning. We win the sixth inning, and we ultimately win the game because of it. So grounding in a double plays, absolutely huge. Uh, was not the hardest hit ball on the day. No. Uh, Sable's solo home run was the hardest hit ball on the day uh, at 107.6. Uh, but 102.4, that's up there. Uh, so, uh, Quancho, what what's going on different with him? I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to look into the numbers a little bit here, trying to figure out what is different because Cal Quantro has been a much better pitcher since coming back from injury here in September. His, his last three starts have all been solid. Uh, has he really gotten no decisions? In, no, he gets the win in this one. Uh, he had no decisions in his last two starts. All three starts for the month of September, he's gone six innings pitched. This is the most hits he's given up at five, but again, those ground ball double plays definitely uh, take some of the pressure off there. Uh, but you know, he's been limiting hits, frankly. he's He's been limiting hits. That's that's a huge, huge difference for Cal Quantrill. His last starts, now they're spread out because of injuries, but his last starts uh, before this, uh, his only start in July, he gave up 11 hits to the Atlanta Braves. It's the Braves. Uh, on his only start in June, he gave up eight hits to the Chicago Cubs. And then in his last start in May, before going down on the injured list, he gave up eight hits to the Baltimore Orioles. So, yeah, some big numbers there in the hit column. And now in his last three starts, it's two hits, three hits, and now five hits in this one. But, again, really strong start. Only the one run given up on the solo home run. So none of those other hits, none of those walks actually turn into anything for the San Francisco Giants. So that's been big for Cal Quantrill. And what is he doing different to decrease the amount of hits he's given up? Uh, Well, one thing I could look at is it just felt like he was getting a lot of ground balls in this one. And if you look at the season numbers... His ground ball percentage is down from his career average, um, down from last season. His career average is 43.1% ground balls. Uh, This year, it's down at 39.3. I don't think that includes this game. Uh, His line drive percentage is up just just slightly. Uh, His fly ball percentage is up just slightly, just 1% higher than his uh, career average. His line drive rate is much higher... All right, relatively much higher uh, than his career average. It's up over three percentage points over his career average. So less ground balls, a little bit more stuff in the air, especially those line drives. You could see how uh, that might make a difference. Um, You know, it's also the hardest uh, 
uh, hard hit ball percentage is the highest it's been of his entire career. Almost three points higher, three percentage points higher than his career average. So a little bit more stuff in the air, a little bit more line drives, a little bit more hard hit. You see how that adds up to some of those big numbers in the hit column that we've been seeing. So he's able in this game to get more ground balls. Uh, of the outs that were recorded in the field, um, eight ground outs to two flyouts for Cal Quantrill in this game. So getting those ground balls, obviously the ground into double plays were three of them. Uh, so there you go right there. And hard hit percentage, way down in this game. Like we said, he only gave up four hard hit balls. The average exit velocity off him was 74.1. And it was down on all his pitches. Average exit velocity off his sinker, 74. Splitter, 70.1. Cutter, 84, which is still below his season average on that cutter. And changeup was 66.7. So a really good job. All four of the pitches that they put in play, they didn't put any of his uh, seven curveballs in play. Um, all four of the pitches they put in play, all well, well below his season averages right now on those pitches. Basically, everything is between like 85 and 88 mile per hour exit velocity that he's averaging on all those pitches. Uh, and his average exit velocity is actually the one thing that's respectable on the season. Um, it's in the 66th percentile at 88.3. So on the season, he's averaging 88.3, but today 74.1 big difference right there. I'm just, I'm just looking at numbers. I'm just looking at numbers and trying to find reasons that I can tell you why maybe Cal Quantrill has found something in his last three starts, uh, that's making a difference here. Uh, as far as his pitch location goes, uh, he definitely seemed to be I mean, he didn't, he definitely was pounding the arm side of the plate. He was pounding it with that two seam sinker. He was pounding it with the splitter. Uh, the cutter he threw to both sides of the plate. The curveball he threw to both sides of the plate. The changeup he even threw to both sides of the plate. But that splitter and that two seam sinker were absolutely attacking that uh, outside edge of the plate, the, uh, the arm side of the plate. And that's where he he made a lot of outs. Uh, When I look at the in-play outs, it's uh, a bunch of sinkers out there to the arm side of the plate. It's a bunch of splitters. Frankly, even some splitters that fell in the middle of the plate, um, he got a lot of outs on there. So uh, I think the key to this here is, is yes, location. He's staying out of the middle of the plate for the most part. In fact, if we look at the balls that were hit in play, um, then... uh, those are the ones that fall back into the middle of the plate. I got two uh, two seam sinkers right down the middle of the plate here that were put in play. Uh, the home run was actually on a cutter inside to the lefty. It is where Fry was set up for the pitch, uh, but it comes into a sweet spot for Sable, and he's able to drive it, like we said, at 107.6. So he, he got all of it. Um, so maybe a bad decision there to try to go inside on a lefty with a cutter. But other than that, that's really the only mistake pitch from Quantrill on the whole day. And the last thing I can tell you that's different, the last thing I can tell you is the splitter usage. If that has been the big change, if the big change for Cal Quantrill from what we saw in the beginning of the season where it was like almost 80-90% sinker cutter, to now using the splitter 
27% of the time in this game, where he threw 23 cut splitters to only 15 cutters. He still throws the two-seamer the most, 29 times. That's his go-to fastball right there. Um, but using that splitter, so 27% of the time, on the season, he's only averaged 5.6% of his pitches have been split fingers up until this game. So that's a significant leap there from 5.6 to 27% of the time. So if that's the big change for Cal Quantrill over these last few games, the introduction of that splitter into the mix, I think that's huge. And, I mean, it's got to be the reason for uh, for some of these grounded double plays. In fact, I might be able to. I might be able to take a look here. Let's see. Flores's was on a two-seamer. Uh, the ground into double play he hit was on a sinker that jammed him on that inside edge of the plate, on that arm side of the plate. All right, it wasn't the uh, splitter, but he did throw him a couple of splitters in that at bat. Um, but it was the two-seamer that got the double play. Lamont Wade Jr.'s ground into double play was on a splitter. It was the first pitch of the at bat, as a matter of fact. It was a splitter away. Uh, that he uh, the lefty hits off to Jose Ramirez, uh, who has a nice quick turn to Tyler Freeman, and they get the double play there. So Lamont Jr. does hit into a double play because of that splitter. And then the final one of the day, uh, the final double play would go to uh, Jock Peterson, and it would be on the splitter. It was uh, a first-pitch sinker off the plate, and then a splitter away to another lefty. Uh, this one is at the belt, but that sinking action on that splitter, that drop vertical break of 34 inches on that splitter, gets the ground ball, uh, gets the unassisted double play from Josh Naylor there. So he tried to pull that thing away, and uh, he—I mean—he drove it, but drove it into the ground, and uh, hits it, uh, hits it over there to Josh Naylor for the double play. So two of the three double plays come via the splitter. I. I think we can identify that that was pretty big for Cal Quantrill on this start. On the other side of things, his opponent tonight was Sean Manaya, who was getting a rare start this season. Hadn't started a lot. Pitched a lot out of the bullpen for the Giants. So they were giving him a start here. And frankly, has a pretty good game. If it wasn't for an error in that sixth inning, uh, he might have gotten out of this thing in a tie game. But uh, he goes five and two-thirds, gives up only two hits, three runs, but only one earned, two walks, five strikeouts on 80 pitches. He's only hard hit three times. And after his first inning, his pitch count was way up there after his first inning. I'm shocked he even lasted that long. I mean, a leadoff walk to Quan, a single by Ramirez, uh, uh, a fielder's choice by Naylor, and then a walk to David Fry loads the bases and then Cole Calhoun hits into a force out. It does bring that first run into score before he finally strikes out Tyler Freeman to get out of it. So throws a ton of pitches to get through that first inning. And you were looking at that first inning going, Manaya is not going to last in this game. Like The Guardians are definitely going to get to him. And then they couldn't take the bat off their shoulders. They started striking out looking and hitting ground balls, lots of ground balls. Manaya recorded... Uh, Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, Ten ground ball outs to one fly out. So they were pounding the ball on the ground against him. 
but then in that sixth inning, uh, Jose Ramirez singles in the left. Josh Naylor hits into a force out, so now there's two outs, but Naylor's on first. Fry is hit by the pitch. Cole Calhoun grounds one to first base. It wasn't even hit that hard, only 87 miles per hour, but it deflects off the uh, first baseman's glove. Who was that at first base? Wade Jr. And uh, can't come up with it. And give Cole Calhoun credit because he legged this thing out. He was chugging down that first baseline. He knew how important it was to uh, beat a recovering Lamont Wade Jr. And he does. He makes it. So we load the bases for Tyler Freeman. They go to their bullpen. Tyler Freeman, I, I love this. This I-, I-, I would assume Tyler Freeman swinging at this first pitch. Uh, this had to have been uh, some kind of conversation right uh, in the dugout about Ryan Walker and what to expect on that first pitch because he was ready for it. It was a two-seam sinker, kind of down the middle, just slightly in off the middle of the plate, and he shoots it back up the middle at 100.1 miles per hour. That seems to me like a guy who was prepared for his at-bat, who was ready for his at-bat, and knew exactly what he wanted to do with it. So a huge, huge at-bat for Tyler Freeman here, lining this thing in the center, brings in Naylor and Fry to score. Unfortunately, the rally would end there. Brennan would also go after a first pitch, uh, but he would fly out to left field. Um, So, uh, yeah, they were clearly, clearly going up there with a plan of Ryan Walker, and it was to hunt that fastball and be aggressive. Uh, Both guys swing at first pitch sinkers. That can't be a coincidence. So uh, a huge, huge moment for the Guardians. And that error, that error by Lamont Wade Jr. absolutely saved our offense. Let's be honest. It it set Tyler Freeman up for this huge moment. Absolutely saved our offense and gave us a chance to take the lead. And once we had it, Ronaldo Lopez in the uh, seventh, Trevor Steffen with a nice, solid eighth inning. And then Emmanuel Classe, despite fly balls, in fact, Gave up a really deep one to dead center field to uh, Sable, who had already homered in the game. 103.4 miles per hour exit velocity. Uh, 396 to dead center field. Had a 740 expected batting average, but would not have been a home run in any ballpark in baseball to dead center field like that. Still a 740 expected batting average, but Miles Straw does make an incredible catch, running backwards, sprinting backwards, leaping at the wall, crashing into it. You know what? I I have been incredibly hard on Miles Straw this season, but but his offense, he still has that elite, or his defense, sorry. His defense, he still has that elite defense. I, I will not besmirch his defense, no matter. I know that the, the metrics say that maybe his his outs above average or down or something this year. I think we all know that Miles Straw can still play elite gold glove defense. My thing is more, more, I think if Brennan or Quan were playing center field, I think you could probably still get 80, 85, maybe even 90% of the defense you get from Miles Straw. Yeah, there's probably one or two just super elite plays that those guys wouldn't make, but I think Brennan or Quan probably could have made this catch going back to the wall. We've seen them do it in the corners enough that I would have confidence with them playing defense and center field if we were to move on 
uh, from Strong, make him the fourth outfielder maybe, or just move on and uh, get someone with some real pop in the corners. I don't think the defense would suffer it that much. Don't forget, Quan is also a former Gold Glove winner in his rookie year. So, um, and Brennan's not too shabby out there defensively. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, but, but let's give straw credit on this one. He does make a fantastic catch in center field. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it definitely helps Emmanuel Classe out in this one. So, uh, that is, I mean, that's your ball game right there. I mean, their offense could not get going every time they thought they had something, they would ground into a double play. Our offense couldn't get going because we were just grounding out we 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 couldn't hit into a double play because we didn't have anyone on base to hit a double play with uh we were just grounding out all day so we do finally take advantage of one moment we have one clutch hit and it's not even a huge rally it's two runs but hey it's better than nothing and uh, a win is a win at this point so again we're looking for our positives right there the positives is Tyler Freeman came up with a plan and executed it to perfection. Uh, and the positive is Cal Quantrill has started to make adjustments. And we were so frustrated with him early in the year that he wasn't making adjustments and he was getting hit all over the ballpark. Well, he's making adjustments now here in September. So that hopefully bodes well for our starting pitching depth for next season because Cal Quantrill can still be a very valuable part of this starting rotation. All right. That is all my thoughts on this one. Let's uh, refresh the inbox and see if Marlon got his email in, in time. Nope. No email from Marlon yet. Sorry, my friend. Uh, it'll just have to wait until tomorrow. Uh, I, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, Marlon, he is in Birmingham, which I believe central time zone. Am I right? Marlon, uh, so he does have a little advantage on us, Clevelanders, on us Ohio wins. Uh, he he only had to stay up till midnight last night, whereas we were trying to push it till one in the morning to watch that extra inning game. Uh, so uh, he has a he had it slightly easier than we did. I tease Marlon, I tease. Um, but uh, yeah, luckily this one ended at midnight. Luckily this one didn't go into extra innings. Had a little quicker pace. I think that game uh, game one was over. Two uh, over three hours. This one was two seventeen, so a little quicker pace in this one. We do have a message from Jeff in Palo Alto. Uh, he did say he's on the train to San Francisco to take in tonight's game. He said, "My first Giants game in six years." Oddly enough, I think the last college game I went to also started by Cal Quantrill pre Tommy John surgery. Please excuse uh, any typos and go Guardians. Uh, so let's get into Jeff's email here. He says, uh, I've heard some talk about not DHing Bo as a way to keep his bat in the lineup. First of all, let me note how refreshing it is to have a catcher that actually deserves more plate appearances than he's getting. I'm excited to see how much and how quickly he improves. Anyway, managers, not just Tito, prefer not to use a catcher as a DH because the catching position is so inherently dangerous. One poorly placed foul tip that takes out the starting catcher means your DH has to enter the game defensively, which means now your pitcher is batting or you're burning through a pinch hitter every time that spot comes up. With three catchers like the team is carrying now, it's less of a concern, but with one of those being a concussion prone, it's still a situation you really want to avoid. Of course, this raises the question of why Gallagher is around at all. 
but I'm not going to argue about who should be the 28th man on the roster here in mid-September. The point is that catchers are sometimes, but rarely, DHs. Take a look at Sandy Sandy Alomar's career or Pudge Rodriguez's career, the prototype of catchers who you'd want to keep fresh, but in the lineup as much as possible. I don't remember them DHing very often at all. Jeff in Palo Alto. All right, Jeff, I have done the research, and you're right. And you're wrong. I, I, I got some evidence that says you're absolutely right. And I got some evidence that might push back against your theory a little bit here. So I looked up uh, Sandy Alomar and Pudge Rodriguez. And you're absolutely right. The most Sandy Alomar ever DH'd uh, in a season, it was like three or four times. The most Pudge Rodriguez ever DH'd in a season, it was like seven or eight times. So you're right. They, they very rarely got used as DH's. You also picked two catchers from about 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. Although I couldn't believe, looking at Sandy Alomar's uh, baseball reference page, I couldn't believe how long he kept playing after he left Cleveland. He really became a kind of a journeyman there uh, for many years after leaving Cleveland. Um, But you're right, those guys didn't. That, That wasn't done back then. Guys, today day though and you know I looked at um I looked at some of the top uh catchers today uh kind of based on appearances and some of these guys uh I looked at uh let me take a pull up game start here I looked at Cal Raleigh in Seattle I looked at Adley Rushman in Baltimore I looked at Alejandro Kirk in Toronto and these guys are being used in the DH spot, sometimes 30, 40, 50 times a season. Uh, I believe Alejandro Kirk was the most um, when it came to appearances. Uh, yeah, last year in 2022, he made 51 appearances as the DH when he made 78 appearances as a catcher. So with three and Salvador Perez too. And Salvador Perez is a little bit different situation because they started doing that late in his career when his, you know, body wasn't what it used to be. And those legs weren't what they used to be. And he physically couldn't play catcher as much as he used to when he was young in his career. But Salvador Perez was another one who's DH'd a decent amount on the last few years. So that's three catchers right there, uh, you know, that have all kind of been used in this way. All There you go. Three catchers in the American League that are great offensively, that you want to see their bat in the lineup every night, and teams are risking it. Those three teams right there, uh, and they're all playoff contenders, are risking it with their star catchers by letting them DH. And, I mean, you kind of admitted it. We are in a, the one situation where you can do that. It's the only argument to keep Cam Gallagher around, as a matter of fact. The only argument you can make to make for to me that makes sense of why Cam Gallagher is still here is so that you have that depth, you have that protection, so that Fry could start at first base or DH, so that Bo Naylor could DH. I, I think it's worth the risk to get him more at-bats as the season winds down. But uh, I, I totally understand your logic there, Jeff, and I understand your thinking there. And if Cam Gallagher wasn't on the team and it was just Fry and Bo Naylor, I, I might I might lean uh, to taking the more cautious route there with Bo DHing. 
if you only had those two catchers on the roster. But Fry, Fry being as flexible as he is positionally uh, really kind of alleviates that concern. Uh, not completely, but it does alleviate some of that concern. So Jeff and Palo Alto, I hope you enjoyed the game. Uh, it's so awesome to hear uh, when the morning people get to go in their hometowns. I know so many of you are spread out around the country and the world. It's always fun to hear about when you get to go in your hometowns. Because I know if I were living uh, in California, you know, I would I would probably do whatever I had to do to get to see my team, get to see my guards in person at least you know once or twice a season when they're out visiting. So very cool, Jeff, that you were able to make it to a game. Jeff with a J, by the way. Um, and you know what? Look at that. Marlon got his email in as we were talking about Jeff. All right, let's give him a shot here, Marlon. Another solid outing for Quantrilli says, bodes well for his future. Earlier this season, he looked like a potential non-tender candidate. The offense wasn't great by any means, but they did just enough. Uh, it was nice to see the Guardians finally make the Giants pay for shaky defense. Tonight, Underwood mentioned the Giants have made 100 errors this season. Wade booted a routine grounder, which should have gotten Manaya out of the inning, but it extended the inning. As a result, Freeman gets a clutch two-out single. This clutch hit was the biggest difference between tonight and last night. For the Guardians, excellent defense won them the game. Straw made a couple of web gems in center field with a diving catch and a leaping grab. Josh Naylor with the unassisted double play at first as a team the Guardians turned three double plays tonight. Um, all right, let's see if Marlon has anything else in here that we haven't covered yet. So the last thing Marlon mentions that we haven't talked about yet is Arias is scuffling with the bat. He struck out four times tonight. Each at bat was horrendous. He looks as if he's lost a little confidence at the plate. Hopefully he can get himself going and go into the offseason with a little positive momentum for 2024. And yeah, you know, I looked at his splits recently, and over his last seven games, he's hitting 111 uh, with 10 strikeouts and no walks. Um, it's not good. It's a under 300 OPS. Uh, yeah, so it's a 296 OPS. So, I mean, it's bad. That's 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 a real bad stretch right there for Gabriel Arias, no doubt. And we were just talking about how he was kind of felt like he was turning things around here at the end of the season. Maybe, maybe the book is out on him a little bit with those high fastballs and, and teams are attacking with his high fastballs. The, the one I remember, the one that sticks out from tonight, is that he, um, he struck out on a high fastball looking in his final at-bat. So, uh, you know... Uh, I was glad he wasn't chasing because, frankly, that one was a little bit off the plate. But looking at the illustrator, yeah, they went after him absolutely with high fastballs all night long. You know, there's a couple of sliders and a changeup mixed in there to keep him honest. But I would say maybe 60-70% of the pitches he saw tonight were fastballs at the letters or above. So, yeah, the book might be out on Gabriel Arias, and he is going to have to learn how to adjust to these high fastballs Either lay off them or foul them off and keep the bat alive. But uh, they are definitely, they have a plan of attack against him. So uh, thank you, uh, Marlon. I'm glad we got your email in. Uh, thanks for joining the conversation. And uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. MVP on the day? I think I got to go with, I, would, I go with the pitcher so often. I got to go with Tyler Freeman. It was his only hit on the day, but let's be honest. He 
finally came through with runners in scoring position. He finally came through with men on base and had a big RBI hit here. And it's the difference in the game. It's the absolute difference in the game. So for his one shining moment, Tyler Freeman is getting the most valuable player on the day. All right. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from San Francisco. It's the Guards 3, the Giants 1. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com, just like Jeff and Palo Alto did, just like Marlon did. I forgot to mention, Marlon said, let's go uh, win this series and uh, get revenge for the 1954 World Series, or get payback for the 1954 World Series. Let's do it, Marlon. Let's finish this thing off. Uh, So email in ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com and join the conversation. And thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.